Welcome to Storehouse Dallas. I'm going to start with the end of Luke 10 because especially here at Storehouse, you probably understand the end of Luke 10. But I believe the end of Luke 10 helps you fulfill the rest of Luke 10. Because the last five verses in Luke 10 and verse 37 is talking about the story of Mary and Martha. And you have this story of Mary and Martha, and we know the story, and it talks about how Martha was distracted and she was worried about many things. But Mary had chosen the good part. You guys see that? You guys understand that. I bet it's preached here often. You guys are, you, you are in the, the place of prayer. It's a prayer room. And I believe that's where evangelism starts. It starts at the feet of Jesus. You get his heart, you sit in this place, and you don't only receive his love, but you're hearing his words from his mouth. It's the beginning. If you're an evangelist or you're one that's out sharing, if you don't understand this concept, you will burn out. It's, it's reality. You will grow tired, you will grow weary, but it's this constant flow of beginning at his feet. But there's something about Luke 10 that I really liked because the rest of this chapter, I believe, has to do with evangelism. It has the topics of Jesus praying for laborers. I'm going to dig into these here in a second. You have Jesus praying for laborers. He, he sends out the 70. He then also, he talks about repentance, cities that won't repent because of the miracles they saw. And then from there, he talks about overcoming rejection. He talks about stopping for the one. The rest of this chapter is about sharing the gospel, healing the sick, and being mobilized. And so that's where I'm going to go today. But before I do that, there's something re really unique about this in verse 10. I mean, chapter 10, Luke 10, and that last segment. It says that Martha was worried and distracted. She was what? You know, I don't know if Jesus knew, but he probably did, because <laughs> he's Jesus. But we're living in one of the most worried and distracted generations. We're worried about, you know what you're worried about. Fill in the blank. Finances, your career, your family. You're distracted. We're, I've been there. I'm not, I'm not just claiming myself from this. I'm right there with you. It's a wrestle. We're distracted. Social media. Netflix. And Jesus says that this is, Mary has chosen the good part. And I believe right here in, in Luke 10, in the middle of Luke 10, it's the solution of a, for a generation not to be worried and distracted. And it's in verse 27. It's this lawyer talking to Jesus, and this lawyer says, uh, he goes, what is the law? How do you sum up the law? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, and love your neighbors yourself. I believe the solution to the issue in our generation is to love God and love our neighbors ourselves. It's really that simple. I will love God, and then I will get my eyes off of what I'm receiving, and I will bless those around me. I heard a professor, a professor of mine in college, he said one time, he says, if you're dealing with depression, just go serve somebody. Because one of the things with depression is your eyes are on you and your world, and, and when all of a sudden you get your eyes off yourself and you start blessing somebody, you're now seeing that you have something to give. 
And we all have something to give. Everyone in this room, you have something to give. And as you're sitting at his feet, here's what I believe happens. It happens with Luke eleven twenty eight. Luke eleven twenty eight says, there's a scenario where all of a sudden this guy begins to say, blessed is the, the, the breast that, that, that you, you, you were as a child that you were able to come to. And all of a sudden he says, no, blessed are those who hear the word of God and do it. When you're sitting at his feet, you're like Mary and you hear his word. But all of a sudden you have an opportunity to go do his word. You believe what he says and then you fulfill what he says. Jesus, I love you. I I worship you. And in the process of you doing that, you start to get God's heart. And then God begins to speak to you. And it could be reconcile a relationship. It could be talk to your coworker about Christ. But he's going to speak something to you. I'm just convinced. He's not a God that's up in heaven and not talking back to us. You all can hear. But we got to slow down and say, I'm going to love God. I'm going to love others. And so in Luke 10, verse 2, I believe this is the next step as you're sitting in his feet. You begin to intercede. Luke 10, 2, it says that, he says, pray for laborers, for the harvest is abundant. Man, isn't that good news to know that the harvest is abundant? But what does he say? The laborers, the laborers are few. You know what? Something I've found is labor is, is, is um, this is my amazing wife. I didn't re- acknowledge her, but this is my amazing wife right here. We're pregnant with our first baby that's due in June. <laughs> but we're taking these birthing classes. You know what? We're getting ready for her to go into labor. <laughs> and last week, we were watching these, taking these birthing classes. This is a complete side note. I had to walk outside after watching the birthing videos. So I'm out of here. <laughs> I'm not even giving birth, but it's causing me to, I need some fresh air. (laughs) But you know what? Labor is not easy. And that's why labor and the laborers are few. There's actually a stat by Barna, and I'm actually, sometimes this is actually why I'm so compelled to stir people up to do evangelism, to make this a part of their lives, is Barna has a stat that only 4% of believers will lead someone to Christ before they die. I believe, one, that that's, there's a lot of reasons behind that, but you know what? Because that number's so low, we, I can see that change in our generation. <laughs> it's not hard to change 4% to 6% to 8%. To <laughs> We're at a very low point. <laughs> we can only go up. And I believe in this room that God's going to stir your heart to help change that number. And we are in a shift in the body of Christ. That we're starting to realize that every believer can live this lifestyle. But are you believing it? Are you believing that God wants to use you this way? And so you pray for laborers, but I believe also as you're sitting and you're praying, you're interceding, that you're, you're praying for the harvest. 
Jesus didn't just say, he said pray for laborers, and so pray for the laborers, but also pray for the, the harvest. And something I did about four years ago is uh, my brother-in-law, he was an unbeliever about six months ago. He actually gave his life to Christ. It's a wild story. Yeah, you can give God a hand. It was a, it was a wild, he, it's, it's, he's been on a journey for ever since me and my wife's known each other. On our wedding day, he was like 110 pounds or something like that. Serious drugs. But over the course of the years, we've just seen God chisel away at his heart. But about four years ago, I started realizing that there was a weakness. And it was sometimes when I'd see him, my heart would get compelled and I'd pray. And I just would forget to pray for him. And so what I did is I actually put him on my screensaver. And it was just a reminder to pray. And I still have him on my screensaver because though he's given his life to Christ, he's in the discipleship process. But what I encourage you to do is if you're burdened with somebody, put them on your screensaver. Just pray simple prayers every day. Jesus, I declare salvation over their lives. Get random people to pray. I've traveled literally all across the United States, even parts of the world, where I'll throw up his photo, pray for my brother-in-law. And I, this simple prayers, Jesus, I declare today that you break the scales off his eyes. Jesus, I pray that you move in his life. You touch his girlfriend's life. And so if there's people in your life that don't know Christ and you're burdened by them, put them on your screensaver and, and let it just be stirred within you to remind yourself to pray. And so that's just a tool to take with you today. A reminder to intercede for those that don't know, but also here's the thing about Jesus, and I see him do this over and over again. He always encourages you to pray for the laborers, but usually what happens is when he, he says pray for laborers, he'll actually then send those people praying out. In Matthew 9 and Matthew 10, he tells the disciples, pray for laborers. And then he sends them out in chapter 10. Right here in, in Luke 10, he does the same thing. He says, pray for laborers. And you'll see here in verse 3, he says, go your way. He sends these 70 forth into the harvest. Every one of you in this room, God's anointed you to go forth into the harvest. And he gives some instructions here in this chapter. But something I specifically want to zone in on is verse 9. It says, heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. Heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. What, is, what are the instructions? In Mark 16, he even says, cast out demons. Heal the sick, tell them the kingdom has come. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a camp where all they do is wants you to proclaim the gospel. There's not a recognition of the power. But then there's another camp where they got burned about telling where all they want to do is heal. What Jesus says, he says, tell and heal. It's both. It's a demonstration and a proclamation. It's demonstrating what the kingdom of God is like, and then it's proclaiming. Here's just something I want you to meditate upon, and it's dealing with you realizing that you're called to do this. I've meditated upon the fact, and what you need to realize is that we all have been benefited by the fact that Jesus came to the earth and lived the life he did and died for us. 
and then he rose again. But you know what? The life he lived for those years he was on the earth, it was an intense time. And then ultimately we know he was beaten beyond recognition. I love the presence of God. But you know what? I bet Jesus also loves sitting in heaven. But he saw us. He got out of his comfort zone. He says, I'm coming down. If Jesus can leave heaven and go to a cross, I think we can reach out to those around us. He was in the most comfortable place. He was in heaven. We get a glimpse here. And sometimes we get comfortable in our homes. We get comfortable in our jobs. And Jesus just says, take a simple step. I left it all for you. Because the reality is, is none of us would be in this room if he wouldn't have came. So tell and heal. I'm going to demonstrate this real quick. How many of you have some sort of pain in your body? If someone, just keep your hand raised, someone around you, just put, put a hand on this person. We don't want to take long on this. But when I am out and about, what I do is I ask people, if it's a coworker, if it's a neighbor, say, man, how can I pray for you today? And then from there, I, sometimes I'll say, hey, do you have pain in your body? And then they tell me. And then I just pray a simple prayer. It doesn't have to be long. I'm going to give you an example. I just command back pain. I command shoulder pain. I command wrist pain. I command cancer. I command headaches. I command leg pain. I command every bit of pain to leave your body right now in Jesus' name. Amen. And then what I usually do is I say, check it out. So if it was a wrist, if it was an arm, rotate it. Check it. Move your knee. Check your headache out. Check it out. If you feel some sort of difference, just wave your hand over your head. Anybody feel, okay, a lady over here. Anybody else? And then here's what I would do is if they're saying, hey, I feel no difference. I just say, hey, can I pray again? So I'm going to demonstrate it. I'm going to pray again. Just put your hand there. Jesus, we command sickness to go in Jesus' name. We command stomach pain to go. If someone's watching or somebody in this room that has stomach cancer, I command it to leave in Jesus' name. You've got to leave right now. Every bit of sickness, you've got to go. Wrist pain, ankle pain, right now in Jesus' name. Amen. And then once again, I get them to check it out. Check it out. How many of you feel some sort of difference? Wave your hand over your head. Praise God. And so you just say a simple prayer. Ask someone how you can pray for them, and then pray a simple prayer. And then typically... Like I said, we need to merge these two camps, healing and telling. Amen? And so I don't want to just simply leave them in that place where they're, they're healed. And sometimes all you have time for is to tell somebody that Jesus loves them. But also what I've found is there's a way to share your testimony. And I'm going to try to give you handles so that you can take this with you. So Alpha Prayer See if they have pain. Some of you are like, I'm not a healer. Well, today you are. <laughs> I'm not one that shares the gospel. I'm an introvert. No, you're righteous. 
And the righteous are as bold as a lion. I'm telling you, there are many, many people that I don't want to talk to about Jesus. I'm in uncomfortable situations. I don't want to. But there's two things that I remind myself. The righteous are as bold as a lion. Proverbs 28.1. And the second one is the love of Christ compels me. And I may not feel love, but all of a sudden I say, Jesus, your love compels me. I've got to talk to them. Help me, God. These are simple things that I remind myself. And the truth truly sets you free. These are things you can take with you when you don't feel like talking to somebody. You don't want to rock the boat and wherever you're at. And so I pray. How can I pray for you? I go through the, the simple uh, praying for healing sometimes. And then what I'll do is I'll say, hey, real quick, before you go, can I tell you why I just prayed for you? There was a time in my life I was an angry dude. And about 15 years ago, Jesus showed me that he loved me. And in that moment, I told God, I said, I'm going to live for you from this day forward. And ever since then, I've had peace and joy in my life. He changed me that day. You ever heard a story like that? That 15 seconds opens a door for the gospel. Because I say, you ever heard a story like that? Yeah, I sure have. I've got a brother-in-law. I've got a cousin. I've got a friend. Oh, yeah, I go to church. No, man, what about you? Where's your story? That 15 seconds after you pray, you heal it's just that window. I did this one time, and I'm going to share this story because I believe it's going to build your faith that you can talk to a simple person in your job. You can talk to someone at a restaurant using this 15-second testimony because of the testimony I'm about to share. And this testimony has to do with an airplane. <clears throat> I was getting on an airplane one time with some people I work with, and we were boarding the plane, and, and one of the guys I worked with, he says, man, I think God wants to do something on this airplane. And all of a sudden, you know when the Holy Spirit's leading you, your heart starts beating fast. And my heart's beating fast, and I'm like, oh, God. God's about to do something on this airplane. So we board, and I get to the back of the plane. I get to my seat. And all of a sudden, this crazy thought's going through my head. We're, we're going we're gonna to do something. I don't know what we're going to do, but we're going to do something. All of a sudden, I look across the aisle from me. There's two guys reading a Christian book. I said, hey, I'm going to stand up, and I'm going to start chanting the name of Jesus. And I need you to join me. So I get in the aisle of the airplane, and the flight attendants are checking up on me. You okay? Oh, I'm good. I'm, I'm doing great. Just stretching. And all of a sudden, I turned over and I looked at those two guys and said, on three. <laughs> One of those guys I actually am still in relationship with. I didn't know at the time, but uh, we ended up following up afterwards. He, th he said, I th he thought I was totally joking. <laughs> so when I said on three, he tapped the guy in front of him. He says, this guy's going to start chanting Jesus. We need to join him. And so I said, on three. One, two, three. Jesus, 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 Jesus. And people on the plane, I don't know, 10 people start joining with me. And I get in the middle of the aisle, and I, uh, we, we were coming back from an event. And I said, if you happen to be at that event on Saturday, I need you to declare the name of Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. So I'm walking down the aisle. And all of a sudden, a guy I work with, about six, seven, he stands up. He goes, there was a time in my life. I grew up in the church, but I didn't know God, and I gave my life to Jesus. And ever since then, I've been following him. And all of a sudden, he turned to me and says, Wade, you ever heard a story like that? And I said, I sure have. 
So I shared my 15-second testimony. And all of a sudden, I pointed to another lady at the front of the plane that I knew. I said, you, you ever had a story like that? She said, I sure have. Then random people we didn't even know started sharing their 15-second testimony. And there was, at the very end, right before the flying attendants came on, there's this, late, this guy, he says, there was a time in my life I was bound in homosexuality, but Jesus set me free. So what about you? What's your story? Anybody? You're going to have to overcome the fear of man even now. There was a time in my life I was angry and bitter, but 15 years ago, Jesus showed me that he loved me. And ever since then, I've had peace and joy in my life. Jesus became the Lord of my life. You ever heard a story like that? Step free when I was 22 years old from a lifestyle of drugs, a lifestyle of alcohol, uh, just desperate and dead. But the Lord met me with a guy like you. Amen. 1994, I'd caught all the world had. I had it all. Big home, boats, cars, children, and I lost it all in a minute. And I told the Lord... If you can do anything with this life, you got it. I'll serve you the rest of my days. And he said yes, and so did I. We'll do, we'll do two more here. Or, yeah, right here. And uh, we'll do three more. Go for it. Gave my life to Jesus. He filled me with the baptism of the Holy Ghost and delivered me of everything. And it's been glorious ever since. Ten years ago, I was living the homosexual lifestyle, and now I'm married to a beautiful wife, and I have a daughter. Amen. For the first 38 years of my life, I was living the lie, seeking approval. Then I found Jesus, and I found life, and I found courage to live in joy. We all, if you're born again, you have something to share. Whether you gave your life to the Lord when you were five, or you're 25, you're 30, whatever it is, offer someone prayer. Share a sort testimony. And then afterwards, it should lead into the gospel. And the simple version of the gospel is God had an original plan in the garden. But know what? Man stepped outside of that plan and sinned into the world. And ever since then, men's try to get right with God. And all of a sudden, Jesus came down and he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins. And then he rose again and he's alive today. And if you put your faith in him today, you can receive this gift of life. And you can say, Jesus, I want you to be Lord, and you can choose to follow him. That's a really simple version of the gospel. It's taking what happened, that sin entered, and from that day forward, man's trying to get right, but Jesus is the only answer. And people need to put their faith in him and make him Lord. So pray, heal. You do, they don't need healing, just pray for them. Pray a short prayer. And then from there, share your testimony. And here's what I encourage you with. Don't be afraid of stumbling over your words. 
As a church at large, people are afraid of messing up their words. That's why sometimes I, I've even used it. It's a good resource. It's good methods are good. Even what I gave you is good. But you know what? A lot of times when we get out there and we want to encounter people, we're afraid that we're going to stumble over words or we're going to misrepresent God or, or all these things. I want you to be free. I've been doing this for like 15 years or something. I've lost track. But over this time, there's times where I just, I, I still don't know what the heck I'm saying. I pray for them, and then I'm like, Jesus died for you. I don't know what to do. Have a good day. Break the religious thing off you. You don't have to have it all together. Even when you do your 15 second, 20, you... Don't just, ah, here it is. Have you heard that before? They just staring at you. At the minimum, you've shared. And the more you do it, the more you see God work. And also I encourage you, sometimes you need people to join you. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of failure. Another part here in Luke 10, verse 16, it says, He who hears you hears me, and he rejects you rejects me, and he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. There's a lot of times with going and, and reaching out to people, there's a fear of rejection. There's a fear of failure, which I just mentioned. But what I want you to know is, most importantly, that they're not rejecting you. They're not. If you think about the story with, with Saul, when he was Saul, before he was Paul, Jesus came to him and he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Did he say, are you persecuting the church? He says, why are you persecuting? We're one with Jesus. And because you're one with him and you're carrying him, the world doesn't like it. Some people will, but some people won't. And it's okay. I have found majority of the time someone that doesn't want me to pray for them, someone that doesn't want to hear the gospel, someone that doesn't, majority of the time, their gentle no is really not that bad. It's actually worse in my head. The fear of what's going to happen. Someone's getting delivered. <laughs> And so don't be afraid of it because it's coming. It's a promise. But don't, be, don't overthink it here. Majority of the time here in the States, it's not that bad. Some of you just need to know that. It's really not as bad. There's a, there's a story I'm going to read to you. This is the way I'll close. Because the story, just stay with me on this story, but it's about a man that was faithful. And it goes along with everything that we're talking about. And something also I want to encourage you with is that, and, and the rest of Luke 10 here, 
you have the story at the end of the Good Samaritan. And in this story of the Good Samaritan, he stops for this, this person. Two-thirds of the people bypass this guy that's in need. And it was something I talked about earlier. It says the lawyer, he asked this question, and he, and he says, love the Lord your God and your neighbors yourself. And, and like I said, I believe that the, the way that we overcome distraction is worry is by loving God and loving others. But it's really interesting in this, this story in Luke 10, verse, I think it's 28 or so, the lawyer tries to justify himself about who his neighbor is. And what I want you to know is that your neighbor are people that you work with, is people that you live near to, and people that you go to the gym, people that you play or hang out with. It's all of them. But you know what? We want to justify who is our neighbor. I've been there. I had a guy that I worked with. He's like, you need to reach your literal neighbors. I'm like, dude, I don't got time to reach my neighbors. I'm a busy guy. I'll pray for the random guy at Walmart. But you know what? I was just making excuses. We can be like this lawyer. But I want to encourage you, you all have people that you work with. How many of you guys know someone that you work with that doesn't know the Lord? How many of you guys, you may not know your neighbors. You may need to get to know your neighbors. Invite them over for dinner. It might be people that you work out with in the gym. It might be who, I don't know what it is. It might be kids at your soccer game, your kid's soccer game, or whatever it is. There are people that you see that you need to stop for. Here in Dallas-Fort Worth, it's realizing that I need to stop for the cash register in front of me. I need to pray for the lady working. I need to bless the waiter. Because here's the thing. Not only are you healing, and healing the sick and, and preaching, but as you're doing that, you're finding a way to bless them. Because that's what happened here in the story of the Good Samaritan. Not only did, did he say, oh, you're healed and bless you. No, he found a way to take care of their needs. And this isn't just for homeless people. I love ministering to the homeless, but there are people in your jobs, people that have issues, and you can slow down and stop for them. So, hey, man, can, I, can we connect? I know that sounds really random. Can we grab coffee after work today? Because some of you are like, well, I can't do this in my job. I'm not going to do like you did in that school system. But you know what? You can be intentional. You can begin to intercede for people. And as you get God's heart, you then can take that person to, to lunch. You can take them to dinner. You can, you can do all kinds of options to bless them. When I was a teacher, I used to give gift cards to other teachers. Hey, I'm praying for you. Here's a gift card. And that led to many conversations for Christ. And so this story of the Good Samaritan, find a way to meet people, help them in their issues. And you may be acting in faith, having absolutely no clue why you're doing what you're doing. Meaning you may buy a gift card, you may take them to lunch and be like, I don't know why I'm taking this person to lunch. This is super random. But you may not find out the story until weeks later, months later. But you know what? When you take them to lunch, you do whatever, offer prayer. I encourage people to be upfront where they're at. Prayer is the first step sometimes. Sometimes it's doing like the Good Samaritan. It's, it's blessing somebody. I'm telling you, with, whether it's your neighbors or it's a coworker, whoever it is, if you have something to give, literally, they're going to listen to you a lot more. And then all of a sudden you do that, and then you see they get healed, and then you tell your testimony. They're like, what? What is this? And whether you see that right then, or you see it in a few, few months later, you stick with them. You keep praying. You never know what God's going to do, but you have to reach out to these people in your circle of influence, reaching out to your neighbors. 
They're our neighbors. Because at the end of the day, Jesus in that story with the Good Samaritan, who is your neighbor? It's the ones that need the mercy of God. And with that, I believe the disciples were listening to that story that day. Because if you look later on in Acts, you have them going to the house of prayer. On the way to the house of prayer, they see a man that's lame. They say, stand up and walk. And they see this man get healed because what they realize is that they can't get into the business of going to their next event. They're slowing down for the one. They're slowing down for the person on the way. Think about it. I don't know how many people are here today, but all of us, if we had eyes to see the one on our way in here, there would be so many people that were touched by the Lord. Whether it was someone at the gas station or it was someone that you picked up, you saw when you picked up breakfast. It might be after you leave today. It's slowing down and stopping for the one and saying, okay, how can I reach this person? How can I love on this person? But like I said, don't just love and do all that. Make sure you're proclaiming, you're healing, you're doing all those things. But the thing is, it's slowing down. It's slowing down for the one. And so I'm going to read a story and then we're going to pray for some people. This story's somewhat long. I just need you to stay with me. It's going to cause me to go over time, but uh, just stay with me. This, this story is somewhat long, but if you stay with me and then we're going to pray, uh, <clears throat> but you'll be encouraged. A number of years ago in a Baptist church in Crystal Palace in southern London, the Sunday morning service was closing and a stranger stood up in the back, raised his hand and said, excuse me, pastor, can I share a little testimony? The pastor looked at his watch and said, you got three minutes. And this man proceeded and he said, I just moved into this area. I used to live in another part of London. I came across Sydney in Australia. And just a few months back, I was visiting some relatives and I was walking down George Street. You know, when, where George Street is in Sydney, it runs from business hub out to the rocks of the colonial area. And he said, a strange little white haired man stepped out of a shop doorway, put a pamphlet in my hand and said, excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you didn't die tonight, are you going to heaven? He said, I was astounded by these words. Nobody had ever told me that. I thanked him courteously and all the way on British Airlines back to Heathrow, this puzzled me. I called a friend who lived in this new area where I'm living now and thank God he was a Christian. He led me to Christ and I'm a Christian and I want to fellowship here. And Baptists love testimonies like that. Everyone applauded and welcomed into the fellowship. That Baptist pastor flew to another part in Australia the next week. And 10 days later, in the middle of a three-day series in a Baptist church, a woman came out from a counseling and wanted to establish where she stood with Christ. And she said, I used to live in Sydney, and just a couple of months back, I was visiting friends in, in Sydney doing some last-minute shopping down George Street. And a strange little white-haired man, elderly man, stepped up of a shop of a doorway, offered me a pamphlet, and said, Excuse me, ma'am, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? She said, I was disturbed by those words. When I got back to my hometown, I knew this Baptist church was on the next block from me, and I sought out the pastor, and he led me to Christ. So, sir, I'm telling you that I am a Christian. Now, this London pastor is now very puzzled. Twice within a, in a couple of nights, he had heard the same testimony. He then flew to preach in Mount Pleasant Baptist Church in Perth, and when his teaching service was over, the senior elder of that church took him out for a meal. He said, sir, how did you get saved? He said, I grew up in this church from the age of 15 through Boys Brigade. Never made a commitment to Jesus, just hopped on the bandwagon like everybody else, and because of my business ability, grew up in a place of influence. I was on a business outing in Sydney just three years ago, and an obnoxious, spiteful little man stepped out of a shop doorway, offered me a religious pamphlet, 
that's just cheap junk. And accosted me with a question. Excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? He said, I tried to tell him I was a Baptist elder. He wouldn't listen to me. He said, I was seething with anger all the way home. He said, I told my pastor, and he would sympathize with me. And my pastor agreed. He had been disturbed for years, knowing that I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. And he was right. And my pastor led me to Jesus just three years ago. Now, this London preacher flew back to the UK and was speaking at a convention in the Lake District. And through these three testimonies, at the close of the teaching session, four elderly pastors came up and said, We've we got saved between 25 and 35 years ago, respectively, through that little man on George Street, giving us a track and asking us that same question. He then flew the following week to another convention in the Caribbean to missionaries, and he shared the testimony. At the close of his teaching session, three missionaries came up and said, we got saved between 15 and 25 years ago, respectively, through that little man's testimony and asking us that same question on George Street. Coming back to London, he stopped outside Atlanta, Georgia, to speak at a naval chaplain's convention. And when the three days of firing up these Navy chaplains, over a thousand of them, and soul winning, the chaplain general took him for a meal. He said, how'd you become a Christian? He said, well, it was miraculous. I was raiding on a United States battleship and I lived a reprobate life. We were doing exercises in the South Pacific and we docked in the Sydney Harbor for, for, Harbor for replenishments. We hit King's Crossing with a vengeance. I got blind drunk and got on the wrong bus, got off in George Street. <clears throat> As I got off the bus, I thought it was a ghost. This elderly white-haired man jumped in front of me, pushed a pamphlet into my hands and said, Sailor, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? He said the fear of God hit me immediately. I was shocked, sober, and ran back to the battleship, sought out the chaplain. The chaplain led me to Christ, and I soon began to prepare the ministry under his guidance. And here I am in charge over a 1,000 chaplains, and we're bent on soul winning today. The London preacher, six months later, flew to do a convention for 5,000 Indian missionaries in a remote corner of northeastern India. And at the end of the Indian missionary in charge, a humble little man took him home to his humble little home for a simple meal. He said, how did you, as a Hindu, come to Christ? He said, I was in a very privileged position, worked for the Indian diplomat mission as I traveled the world, and I'm so glad for the forgiveness of Christ and his blood forgiving my sin because I'd be very embarrassed if I, people found out what I got into. He said, one bout of diplomatic service led me to Sydney, and I was doing some last-minute shopping, laden with parcels of toys and clothing for my children, walking down George Street, and this courteous little white-haired man stepped out in front of me, offered me a pamphlet, and said, excuse me, sir, are you saved? If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? He said, I thanked him very much, but this disturbed me. I got back to my town. I sought out the Hindu priest, and he couldn't help me. But he gave me some advice. He said, just to satisfy your curious mind, nothing else, go talk to the missionary in the mission house at the end of the road. And that was a fateful advice, he said, because the day the missionary led me to Christ, I quit Hinduism immediately, and they began to study for the ministry. <clears throat> I'm going to keep going. We're not. Well, eight months later, the Crystal Palace Baptist pastor was ministering in Sydney, southern suburbs of Sydney, and he said to the Baptist minister, do you know a little man? elderly man who witnesses and hands out tracts in George Street. He said, I do. His name is Mr. Ginner. But I don't think he does anymore. He's too frail and elderly. The man said, I want to meet him. Two nights later, they went around to the little apartment, knocked on the door, and this tiny, frail little man opened the door. He sat them down and made some tea. He was so frail that he was slopping tea in the saucer as he shook. As he sat with him, this London preacher told him, 
all these accounts over the previous three years. The little man sat with tears running down his cheeks. He said, my story goes like this. He said, I was a railing on an Australian warship, and I lived a reprobate life. And in a crisis, I really hit the wall, and one of my colleagues, whom I, and I preached the gospel. If you're saying, hey, I want to receive boldness. I want to receive courage. It's not something, because like I said, it's believing the truth. The righteous bows the line. But in Acts 4, they cried out and they received boldness. You're saying, I need that. I need that in my life. I want to pray for you.